0: Hey guys, congratulations. You made it through the first pass the basket offering and it wasn't entirely, okay, it was entirely awkward, but it's all right. Hey, baby steps, right? Um, This is our third week studying the book of Philippians and I'm glad you're joining us. If you're new, a couple things. First, I am really proud of how you guys have stepped up to the plate when it comes to childcare and things like that. Um, A lot of people have volunteered. That's really sweet and helpful. Second of all, I think we're going to start soon giving our childcare workers a break on fifth Sunday. So about three or four Sundays a year, or months in the year have five Sundays. Whenever we have a fifth Sunday, we'll just have everybody in the service. We'll keep it super low, super easy for the kids, have some extra stuff, busy bags and things like that to make it a little easier on everybody. And the sermon will be more directed towards the kids those days. But that'll help the kids acclimate to worshiping with us together as families and uh, also provide some relief for our childcare workers. So that's a thing too. Um, Third, I know that uh, for some of you studying the Bible is pretty new. Um, I know that like there's a group of young men who are reading the Bible together maybe for uh, the first time. And so um, I just want to say a couple of things to you guys this morning. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> couple of things <laughs> to you guys this morning. I just don't want you guys to be intimidated by anything when you come to the Bible. So there are some things in the Bible that can be hard to, stand, to understand, but God wants to be understood by you. And so if you're humble, if you're willing to learn, you don't have to worry about what you don't know or what you don't understand. You're going to be able to read the Bible and open it and... Find something for you if you come to it humbly, okay? It doesn't take special training. Special training helps, okay? But it's not necessary. Anyone can read and understand the Bible. Not all things are equally plain, okay? But um, we take the plain, we take the obvious things, and that's how we understand the difficult things. Uh, The two biggest mistakes you can make are being proud and embarrassed, okay? Uh, The Bible can hold up to any questions you have of it, and so come ask questions about what you don't understand and what you don't like and trust that if you don't like it, you're probably wrong. Just ask for help. Okay. Uh, we've all been that guy. I've been that guy who's like the idiot, right? I, uh, when I was six, I walked the aisle, I prayed the prayer, I was baptized, but my parents were getting a divorce and it was hard to be in, in, in church, my life. It wasn't until I was about 17 that I really, I think, came to know the Lord and started walking with God. And I was the guy who didn't know much about the Bible or how to pray or anything like that. I knew a couple of little rhyming prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep when you go to bed and uh, we had a a mealtime prayer that we would pray. God is great, God is good. We thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us Lord our daily bread, amen. And we'd rush through it and it would be a part of it. It was sweet and it's a good prayer. But that's about all we had. So I've been been the doofus who's been called on in youth group to pray and had no idea what to do. And the doofus who's like, turn in your Bible to the book of Philippians. Great. It's a table of contents in here, (laughs) right? So um, don't feel dumb. Don't feel dumb. We want this church to always be a church where you can come and not feel dumb, okay? So anyhow, We're studying Philippians. It's a letter in the New Testament that just begins with the birth of Jesus. The Gospels start about here. So if you turn halfway into the Bible and you start flipping to the right, you're going to hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you're going to hit some smaller books and that's where you get lost and start to feel awkward and hope that nobody's looking at you while you sweat, okay? And it's okay. I still to this day have a thing that helps me find the book of Philippians. It's You know, you have these like bigger books, and then you have this. I have this little phrase: "Gentiles eat pork chops," and that helps me remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So that's helpful to you. Great. If not, that's okay. All right. (laughs) Today we're moving backwards, not forwards in Philippians. We're going to back it on up. So here's today's passage. It's just Philippians chapter one, verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us here this morning, and we thank you for your kindness to us. We pray that you would draw near to us as we study your word. We pray that um, you would be with the churches and our fellowship and our presbytery that are worshiping this morning, that you would fill them with your spirit and that you would give them much fruit. Pray for the churches across the city, wherever your name is being preached, that the name of Jesus would be exalted and that your truth would be proclaimed and there would be repentance and faith and newness of life in Christ. We pray the same for us this morning. Uh, we also, we pray for uh, Ashley and Dylan as Uh, Ashley may be going into labor. We pray that you would protect her and the baby and that he would be born healthy and soon. We pray that you'd be near to them. We thank you for the gift of new life. Pray for Danny and Evan as they both recover from arm injuries, that you would heal them and help them to trust their doctors and get back on their feet. And that you'd be with their families as they care for them and uh, deal with the difficulties of that. Be near to us now, we pray, as we come to your word. Give us soft and tender hearts. Help us to see wonderful things in it. Help us to honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Okay, so why did we back up and shine a spotlight on this verse today instead of moving forward? Normally, I'm not the kind of guy who likes to sit on a single verse. Um, I believe, generally speaking, in treating passages of Scripture the way they were intended, getting the big picture of what this passage means. point of this passage is what we discussed last week. It's Paul's gratitude to, the Philippian, or to God for the Philippian church. It's his joy because of their partnership in the gospel. So that's what we focused on. Today's passage is just sort of like a line. It's like a one-off line in there. It matters. It means something. It means something to the church at Philippi. It should mean something to us. But it's sort of like, in some sense, Paul and Timothy to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. There's a whole lot, right, we unpacked behind that. But unless you know, it can just sort of pass you by. The Philippian church had been around for 10 years. They'd been discipled for 10 years by the apostle Paul. That's a long time. We've been uh, here for a couple of months. So we're going to stop and be sure we really understand the hope that's being offered in this passage and the comfort that's being held out before we move past it into the next section, okay? By the way, good test. 10 years. The church at Philippi, when they got this letter, they'd been a church for 10 years. We have had services since Easter. So I'm willing to bet that 10 years from now, if God grants us the ability to persevere as a church, and I'm still here, and we're still here, and we're still worshiping the Lord together, that this book of the Bible is going to hit us completely differently. And it'll be sweet. And we should probably make notes to come back to this book 10 years from now. So everybody, because you're all going to be here 10 years from now, this is going to be great, and the end of the world's not going to happen between now and then. Set reminders in your phone. 10 years, we're going to revisit the book of Philippians. Um, okay. Here's the big idea in today's verse. God finishes what God starts. That's the big idea. God finishes what he starts, everything he starts. When's the last time you have started something and finished it that wasn't like at your job? I had a new book come in the mail yesterday. I thought about starting it. And ordered it. I forgot that I even ordered it. I didn't start it yesterday. Some of that was because of kids and sermon prep and things. Some of that is because I have six books sitting on my nightstand or on the floor around my bed that I've started and I've not finished. And that doesn't include the books that Amanda has quietly, secretly put back on the bookshelf that I've forgotten about. And it doesn't include the five Audible books that I've got going. And it doesn't include any of the books that I'm reading for my sermon prep. <laughs> what do you have going on right now? It's easy for us to start things and not finish them, right? What do you have going on right now that you've started and not finished? And what's your excuse? House projects? Some skill you thought you'd pick up or remember? One of my favorite things to start and not finish is brushing up on my German. I studied German from like seventh grade through college. And So occasionally, I'll download Duolingo and put it on my homepage, on the front page of my phone, and let it sit there as a reminder that I still don't remember my German very well. (laughs) Or, oh, I know, German's not that useful. I'm going to learn Spanish. Doesn't happen. Or uh, how many of you at the start of the new year decided, this year I'm going to pick up a new skill or a new discipline or something like that. I'm going to figure something new out. I'm going to learn how to code. I'm going to learn a new martial art. I'm going to learn uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Muay Thai or something like that. I'm going to, go to the, I'm going to go to the gym. Got to take out that gym membership. Started something. I've not finished it. I'm going to learn an instrument. We start things all the time that we don't finish. We abandon projects all the time, ideas all the time. Some of that's because we're fickle and uncommitted and we don't want to persevere and we lack the character that leads to real commitment that's a flaw in us. Some of that is just actually good. We don't know what we don't know, right? Until we get into something. If we want to be productive people who finish important things, we have to let other things go. Some hobbies and habits don't get to be cultivated because they don't deserve to be. So we pick things up and then we realize, no, we got other priorities. This is silly. This isn't going to work. We don't know until we give it a try, a really earnest and sincere go, and then we learn, nope not going to happen, not worth it. God is not that way. No character flaws, nothing he can't and won't do that he decides to do. He doesn't start something that he's not capable of finishing perfectly. He never does anything halfway. He does all things thoroughly and completely just as he intends to. It has to do with his character. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And the hope being held out for us this morning is just that. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases, and it has pleased him to begin a good work in us. Therefore, he will finish it. He will do it. If God starts it, God finishes it. He doesn't abandon the work that he began. So what's the work that God has started? What's the work that he's done? What's the work that he's doing? The work is to change and transform his people into the image of his son, Jesus. That's the end game, the ultimate goal of the Christian life that we would all be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We all start out dead, dead in our sins and trespasses. Ephesians 2 puts it this way You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Rough, right? Rough. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We all lived in the passions of our flesh. Anybody know what comes next, though? But but we decided we wanted to live, but we made ourselves new. No, this is not what it says. Listen, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You were dead, God made you alive. By grace, you have been saved. That we should walk in them. This is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture because it tells us what God has done for us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. When I was a college pastor, we'd come to a passage like this. I would literally make somebody come up and just lay down on the ground and say, Now you're dead, play dead. Now get up. And then they would start to get up. And I'd say, No, no, you're dead. You're dead. Get up. Just lay there. And then we'd like have some fun with it, right? You know We'd say things and I'd make fun of them or whatever, and they could, what, anything they could do about it because they're dead. Dead. Dead is dead. Dead does not animate itself. God must make you alive if you are dead. That is the first thing that happens is how we come to know God. God, when you were dead and your sins and trespasses, made you alive. It doesn't matter. Dead people can't hear. If I call to them to follow Jesus, it doesn't matter. Can't come. Something has to happen. God has to breathe life into them, into us. We were all by nature dead in our sins and trespasses, locked in the tomb. And Jesus, just like with Lazarus, comes and speaks life. Lazarus, come forth. His call gives life. When he speaks and does the work, it changes us. Lazarus, come forth. We are just like that. Sure, God works through people, but there's a reason why when Paul and Barnabas went and reported on the work of the churches, they reported not on what they had done, but on all that God had done with them. God is the one at work. God is the one changing people. God is the one changing hearts. It's the kind of thing that we see happening all over Scripture. When Paul became a Christian, what happened? Paul was on the road to Damascus and he was thinking, man, I really got this thing wrong. I should stop persecuting Christians and trying to kill them. And instead, I should become one. It's not what happened. Jesus just showed up in a flash of light and said, you're mine. And now you're going to stop persecuting me and you're going to be my chosen instrument. Same's true at the church of Philippi. Paul didn't even want to go to Philippi he wanted to go somewhere else. He was given a vision and told to go. So he went. And he goes down to the river, and he starts to talk to the people there. And he meets Lydia, and this is what happens. Acts 16, 14. He meets Lydia, and it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God sent Paul. God opened Lydia's heart. Lydia didn't open her own heart. God did the work. What about the demon-possessed slave girl? Was she asking to be exercised? Did she exercise herself? She didn't. Who sent the earthquake that opened the jail? This good work, the work of salvation, is the work of God from start to finish. And that's what gives us hope. Because God started it, not us. And that means that God will finish it and bring it to the end. And that is good news. God is the one from start to finish at work in us and through us. That's good news. That's good hope. We can be pessimistic about the work of God in ourselves and in the world until we grab hold of one thing, that God is the one doing the work. God has always been the one doing the work. It's gone on long before we were ever here. It will continue long after we're gone. God is the one who does the work. And the same's true in our own hearts. It doesn't matter how messed up we are or where we started from. We started dead. We started dead. If God started something, God will finish it. It may be hard. It may be painful. It may involve suffering and sadness. It may not look like we want it to look, but God will do it. Remember the context here. Again, it's the church at Philippi. And Paul's in prison, and there's pain, and there's suffering. There's persecution. There's temptation to abandon the gospel there's weakness. And hope that's being held out here is, look, everything that's happened with you guys, you didn't do that. God did. And God who started something here in Philippi is going to finish it. He's going to complete the job. God who has started something in you is going to finish that, that work. And that's the next important thing. The work that God has begun is work that's in you. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you. It's a work that's in you. It's personal and it's real. You were dead. God made you alive. The Bible has all kinds of metaphors like this. Ones that your heart was made out of stone. Dead to God and the things of God. God took out the heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh took out the dead cold heart that would not respond to him. Replaced it with a heart that would love him. And then we come. He shows us our sin. He shows us what we deserve for that sin. Shows us what he's done for us. He sent his son, Jesus, to do what we can't do. To live a perfect life and to suffer the punishment that we deserve on the cross. So we can have our sins paid for and forgiven. So that we can have his righteous life stand in place of our sinful lives. He was resurrected from the dead, triumphant over death and sin so that we can triumph over death and sin too. It starts here. The resurrection of our dead, cold hearts. The resurrection of our souls. A heart that now has a conscience that's awake, that mourns over sin, that hates sin and wants to turn away from it. A heart that wants to live to please God alone that begins to find great joy in God himself, in his grace and in his mercy and in the things of God, that begins to hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you've embraced the good news by faith, that good news, if you've trusted in the work of Jesus on your behalf, it is because of God's good work in you. You're a new creation in Christ, born again, once a slave of sin, now a son of righteousness. His workmanship, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works not your own, his. Good news. God's a better workman than you. God finishes what God starts. We don't. We're his workmanship. We're being prepared for the day of Jesus Christ, it says. It's the third thing. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The consummation of all things at the very end, from the first day to the last. He is with us and he is at work in us to to make us like his son, Jesus. What God starts, God finishes. No matter how hard it is, God does not stop. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't throw in the towel. He works. He sees to it that we're freed from our sin and transformed into the image of Jesus. Even you. The world can take everything else away, but it can't take that away. 1 Peter 1 says this, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. He has caused us to be born again to an inheritance that's imperishable. It can't be destroyed where thieves can't break in and steal and moth and rust can't destroy And that's our hope. God has done something in us. God will complete the work. God will do it. What God starts, God finishes. And what's the worst thing then that can happen to us? What's the worst thing? If God started something in us and God's going to finish it, what's the worst thing that can happen? They can kill us. We can die and be united with Jesus. About that, later in Philippians chapter one, Paul says this, for for me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You can't take anything from me, actually. You can only give. Because I have an inheritance in Jesus that you cannot take away. Death is gain for the Christian. Because God is the one who's at work and the one who's in control. Romans 8 says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God sends Jesus to live and suffer and die on our behalf, that's it. That's it. That's the most he could give. Which means there's nothing else that he's going to hold back. Not like there's some kind of cap like he's already done that. What's everything else to that? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's ju- it's God who justifies, who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? God the Father sent Jesus the Son to die on a cross for his enemies. That's us. That's you and me. God's enemies. God will not let the blood of his Son be spilt in vain. Not going to happen. Every drop will accomplish what he's purposed. And he's purposed to save a people for himself from start to finish. From the first to the last. And if you're in him if you belong to him, that's you. That's you. So there's only one question left. Is God at work in you? Can you say that God has begun a good work in you? How do you know? How would you know? Has God begun a good work in you? Here in the passage, we know why Paul believes that God's begun a good work in the church at Philippi. They have a 10-year track record of fellowship and partnership in the gospel. They've been there. They've been faithful. They've suffered. They've walked with God. They've demonstrated a love for the things of God, a love for fellowship with his saints, to the point that they were willing to suffer great hardship. Do you love God? Do you love the things of God? Really? Really? Do you love the people of God? Is this kind of fellowship and partnership something you long for, that you find joy in, that you need? When the chips are down, will you defend the gospel? Remember this church? Partakers with me in grace in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, right? This is a couple verses later. This is part of how he knows that God's at work in them. Gospel's under attack. God's word's under attack. They stand up to defend it. They're there, They're there with him in his suffering. They're there with him in his persecution. They're they're there at great risk to themselves at every step along the way. There are other tests that we see in other places of scripture. Do you hate sin? Do you want to please God? Do you love your neighbor? Are you growing in gratitude and self-control? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is that the right order? No. But did I get them all? I said gentleness. Yeah. I may have gotten it out of order, but I got it in there. Do you have the fruit of God's Spirit at work in your life? Are you faking, pretending, going through the motions? Here for some self-help, here for a social club? We just want to be a place where God's at work. That's all we want to be. That's all we've ever wanted. That's all I've ever wanted to be is where God's at work. I had plans and I got connected to a church and I just stuck there because I saw God at work in that church and in my life and in my family until it was time to come here. We just want to be a church where God's at work in us, in us as a people In in our own lives and in our own hearts, transforming us and changing us to be like his son day by day, step by step until the day of Christ. And if God is the one who's began a good work in this church, he'll see it through to the end. And if God is the one who's began a good work in you, if God has done that, he will see it through to the end. It can feel dark and hopeless when we see and are confronted by our sin and our weakness and we keep falling and sinning in the same ways over and over and over again. If God is at work in you, he will do it. And if you look and you're like, well, I, I don't know, I'm weak. I don't know that I love God. I don't know that all this, I really do. Maybe God's not at work in me. Okay, come to Jesus. Come nobody who comes to Jesus is turned away. So come. Don't get caught up. Is God at work in me? Is God not? I want you to ask the question. I want you to examine your heart. But at the end of the day, what I want is for us to come to Jesus. No beggar on the side of the road, no deaf person, no blind person got in the way of Jesus who wasn't healed. So put yourself in the way of Jesus. Come. Come to his word come to the community, the fellowship of the saints, come and pray and trust him to do that work in you. If he has started it, God finishes everything he starts. Everything. It's good news. Let's pray.